Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Today is Monday, August 2nd, 2021, and this is episode 28A. As it is a standard A episode, we're going to start things off with the new Comic Book Day pull list, things that are coming out for DC Comics tomorrow, Tuesday, the 3rd of August, and for everything else, Wednesday, the 4th of August. We have a good number of great things to talk about, including a few discussions of representation in the industry and a few comics that... Um, handle representation extremely well. So we'll go over that to start things off. And then we'll talk about the Bad Batch episode 14. There are two more episodes in the season. So we're getting towards the end of things here and starting to see where we might wind up when the season ends. After that, we have the trailer from this morning, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. We'll go over all of the aspects of that and discuss everything that I kind of think to expect from that movie. And finally, if you were on Twitter at all for the past weekend, you probably saw an article that dealt with Matt Damon commenting on his concern over traditional movies ending in Hollywood. I have a little bit of a discussion I have planned um, about that, where there are a number of things, including um, genres and old Hollywood ideals and things that I'm going to be discussing when we get to that point to wrap up the episode. You can find me online as always. Uh, my Instagram is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I do have the comics. You can find me on Twitter at Savage SheGeek because sensational was too many letters. My website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, which is where you can find links to this podcast on all of the platforms that it streams, which are pretty much all of them except for Pandora, including YouTube, which is also linked on my website. My, my YouTube username is just sensationalshegeek. It's really easy to find. All of my podcast episodes are on YouTube, as well as action figure review videos if you're interested in anything like that. Also on my website, um, I have reading orders for characters who I'm very fond of, as well as podcast notes if you are someone who prefers to read the general news other than listen to me talk about it, or if you are hearing impaired. I do keep the podcast notes on the website for people who would rather read things instead of listen to me talk about them. The notes that I more or less work off of discussing things for each podcast episode so I don't get too far off track, so it does contain the majority of things that I go over in each podcast episode. Finally, and this is also linked on my website and in my Instagram profile if you're interested in finding it, I do have a podcast Patreon program set up now. There will be a few rewards for annual subscribers, people who uh, donate to the podcast during the year 2021, and in 2022 there will be a new sticker. Um, rewards will probably be things like sticker designs that I've been working on behind the scenes, um, or just whatever I can possibly put out there. Uh, the whole idea behind the podcast patron program is just if you if you feel like the uh, enjoyment of this podcast is worth the cost of a comic book a month, a streaming service a month, a book, you know, whatever it may be, you can put in whatever amount there, and that is an excellent way to support the podcast. Otherwise, the best way to support the podcast would be obviously just to share it on whatever platforms you can, like, subscribe, comment, rate, share, view, whatever it is that you can do on whichever streaming service you are uh, listening to the podcast on. Uh, that is an excellent way to help support the podcast as well. And I thank you again, as always, for any kind of support that you are able to give. 
I have a few um, very brief bits of news that I'm going to go over before we get into the weekly comic book pull list. Um, those are not things that really have discussions behind them, just a few points to hit on the podcast to go over to say that we've gone over them. And um, that includes a couple of fun things such as, you may remember, Suicide Squad is coming out this Friday. Um, I plan on watching it Friday night. That's my, my weekend plan to probably watch it twice. <laughs> and I will be discussing Suicide Squad next Monday, the 9th of August on episode 29A. Earlier views for Suicide Squad are already out and it looks really good. There's a lot of what feels like bandwagoning of the James Gunn superhero stuff. So that's, you know, take that with a little bit of, this is probably not the best movie ever made. <laughs> if you ever see that in the reviews, it's probably not, it's probably a little bit of an exaggeration, but based on the reviews that we do see, it, it can definitely be assumed this is going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, the Old Man Star-Lord podcast is happening right now. It's written by Benjamin Percy, who is a really fun Marvel Comics and DC Comics writer as well. He has, he has some indie projects going on. Um, if you are someone who likes to listen to podcasts or listen to your comic books as opposed to read them for whatever reason that may be, uh, check out the Old Man Star-Lord podcast because it is getting rave reviews. Finally, we have two projects that have finished filming this week. First was The Book of Boba, which is, of course, Boba Fett's uh, live-action series that I believe is directed by Taika Waititi. And we also have the Amazon Lord of the Rings project finished filming in New Zealand, uh, and that we have a release date for that officially. It will be coming out on September 2nd, 2022. So exactly one year and one month from today. They finished filming... I believe it was actually today in New Zealand. Um, so that's very exciting. And there was a single image release, the first image that we've gotten from anything for this show. It showed someone fairly distant with our, their back facing the camera, uh, but they themselves facing what appears to be sprawling Rivendell. <laughs> Um, it's, it's an exciting thing to see. I, being a massive fan of Lord of the Rings and a massive hate hater of its fan base. Its fan base is so toxic. Um, I'm really excited for this. Um, I, I don't have any expectations. I'm not one of those people who's going to go in for this getting mad if it's not super duper accurate and exactly what Tolkien would have wanted. Um, as long as it's not a slap in the face to Tolkien, I, I'm going to enjoy it. That's, that's about what it comes down to. Since we do have a fair bit of stuff to be discussed after the comic book pull list. If you are someone who would like to skip the pull list and just go straight into what am I going to be discussing today? Straight into the Bad Batch episode 14, Venom Let There Be Carnage trailer discussion, and some commentary on the future of, I guess, movies. Thank you to Matt Damon. Uh, you can just go ahead and jump to about 46 minutes in. 46 minutes, we'll be about wrapping that up and moving on. Let's go ahead and get started with the new comic day pull list for the week. As I said earlier, these are comics that are going to be coming out for DC on Tuesday, the 3rd of August, and for everything else on Wednesday, the 4th. And as I do always try to remind you, if you do not have anything interesting that I talk about, but you still want to read comics, please keep in mind what I discuss on the podcast as far as new comic books and things that are currently coming out is a very small fraction of what comes out every week 
in the comic world. There are countless publishers and just innumerable titles that come out each week. Um, if you don't have anything that I'm discussing that sounds interesting to you, certainly be sure to stop by your local comic shop and tell them some of the stuff that you are interested in and they will be more than delighted to help you find something uh, that they can give you in trade for some cash or whatever format they take it in. Um, and that's, I just don't want anybody to listen to this and think, well, it doesn't sound very good to me. I guess comics aren't for me. Comics are for everybody. I can guarantee you that there are comics out there, whoever you are, that you will love. Um, so definitely if, if you're just not really hearing anything that I talk about that strikes you as very interesting, um, hit up, hit up a local comic shop or bookseller and they will be happy to give you some, uh, some suggestions. For our spotlights on representation, the titles that we're going to be covering is a new, a couple of new things. Um, gosh, yeah, a couple of new things. We have Cinnamon number one, Spirits of Vengeance, Spirit Rider number one, Porcelain number one, Horizon Zero Dawn Liberation number one, and then some briefer uh, little tidbits on Crush and Lobo number three, The Good Asian number four, and Silk number five. Starting that off with Cinnamon number one. Um, I have a feeling that this is either going to be completely awesome or completely ridiculous in a less awesome way. This comic is going is written and drawn entirely by Victoria Douglas. She is doing everything herself. It is her brainchild, and as I have said numerous times on this podcast, whenever I come across a project that is handled by fewer people, closer to one than to five, you know, the the, the less amount of people that there are on a, any particular creative team tends to show um, a more full and um, a, mo a more uh, closer to what, <laughs> an outcome closer to what the person wanted to get in the first place. I got a little trouble getting that out. But uh, for this one, I'll read the solicitation because <laughs> it is sound pretty funny, to be honest. It says, Cinnamon is just your ordinary average house cat, at least until we get a glimpse of the world through her eyes. Countertops become skyscrapers, cat toys become biker gangs, and perilous giant robots rampage on the daily. Get dropkicked onto the action-packed streaks of Big Kitchen City as she fights the dark forces that dare to keep her from her favorite treat, catnip. <laughs> this sounds incredibly entertaining, if nothing else. Um... I, I really love that even with the solicitation, you can kind of get the feeling that this is very much the world through a cat's eyes, which yes, is exactly what the solicitation says, but the cat perspective, um, if you're a cat owner, I'm sure you've done the thing where you've like, uh, there's a number of things, you know, that you can interact with your cat to kind of try and make them feel like... Uh, you know, predators, like proper predators. Like we, I know a lot of people do this where um, our cat will be chasing a bug and it'll be too high up. So we'll pick her up and hold her up to the ceiling so she can help catch the bug. And I'm sure, you know, in her eyes that she's just like slaughtering it with, with swords and knives. You can totally see how a cat's perspective of their own life would look like a you know, badass action movie. You can totally see that. Cats have that kind of personality and they definitely, it's, it's, the, it's the old joke from Tumblr, right? How cats are, you know, 
lethal killing machines. The, the reason that cats are so mad is because they're lethal killing machines, but they're so small and cute that we just keep picking them up and cuddling them. <laughs> and so that's why they're so grumpy all the time. Because <laughs> they're descendants of predators who do not get taken seriously. <laughs> Uh, so Cinnamon Number 1 by Victoria Douglas. I predict this to be amazing. Um, <laughs> the fact that it's it's not just a completely female-run project, it is also a cat lady project. <laughs> Which, I, I, I mean, sign me up. What's, what's there not to love? Spirits of Vengeance Spirit Writer Number 1 is one that I was very surprised to hear about about a month or two ago but very happy to hear about as well. Um, this is going to be by Taboo of the Black Eyed Peas. A writer, B. Earl, is co-writing with him. And then the artist is Paul Davidson. I'm not familiar with Paul Davidson. And I have not actually read any of the Taboo comics that have come out. Um, he has been doing a couple of things. I believe it was Werewolf by Night is what he did with Marvel most recently. I honestly can't say if that was successful. I have no idea. I don't think I know anybody who read it. Um, but the thing is, they keep coming back to him. This is now the second or third time Taboo will have been writing a Marvel project. So there's two ways to look at that in my pers my what from what I think. Um, A is you have the celebrity, in this case Taboo, who is trying to write a comic and gets in with Marvel and just kind of like keep putting out these little things because they just want to write comics. B is that, you know, he obviously wants to write comics, but Marvel keeps coming to him because they see something they like. Having not read Werewolf by Night or any of Taboo's other writing projects, I really can't say which direction that kind of falls towards. I would obviously very much like it to be Marvel sees something good in him and keeps reaching out. Um, but who knows? This could just be a, I have a lot of money and kind of pay my way into doing this thing because I think it's fun. Who knows? And that could be, you know, entirely a wrong idea of what happens in the industry um, when you have celebrities writing. I'm not involved enough to know that. But what's interesting about this it is spirit writer number one. This is going to be about Kushala, who was first introduced in Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer's Supreme series. Uh, she was forced, first appeared in the first issue and then I believe was issue two or four, she had a whole backstory that was explained. Um, and she was called at that time Demon Rider. It's a little bit funny. <laughs> um, if you have read those issues specifically of her first appearance and of her origin, there are a lot of factors honestly, in that whole Sorcerer's Supreme series, um, there, there are quite a few factors that felt extremely racist and sexist. Um, I remember in particular um, the character of Kushala befriending the Mindful One, who is the Sorcerer Supreme of the Mindless Ones for some reason. It's a ridiculous thing. Um, but she didn't befriend any of the other characters. And so it was very much this, the way that she talked to it was very much, um, it seemed to be perpetrating the trope of Native Americans being savages because here she was befriending a mindless thing that can't even really communicate. 
Um, but that's the one that she becomes friends with because they can, you know, connect on some kind of level. That felt pretty racist. Um, <laughs> there are certain tropes that that are not so great and using them doesn't a great look, and this is definitely one of them. There was a number of other things that really rubbed me the wrong way about that series. Demon Rider, though, was not something I really considered until they came out with this change to Spirit Rider. True, it, w it, it really was unnecessarily negative to call her Demon Rider instead of something less negative, especially since there is no demon anything about her character. She is a sorcerer supreme and a spirit of vengeance. There was nothing demonic in any of that. So having called her demon rider itself is a tiny bit racist. Um, I hope I'm not getting too much on a high horse here, but um, I'm, I'm very excited to, or I'm very interested more accurately to see what kind of changes they put into her character here. Uh, she hasn't been around, she hasn't been in things enough to have a whole lot of characterization, um, but what little things she has been in, it's it's extremely loose and open. So what I'm really hoping to get out of this um, one shot is what I believe it is, is just a nice solid characterization of the character of Kushala. Um, see her be useful, see her be, you know, a proper Sorcerer Supreme and Spirit of Vengeance, um, and kind of solidify her place as one of the Ghost Riders, right? Um, yeah, Demon Rider. See, there's no reason that ha that had to be Demon Rider. Um, and of course, in case that wasn't super duper obvious, she is a Native American character. Um, she became a Sorcerer Supreme Ghost Rider back in... I assume the 1800s, um, but yeah, she's a, she's a cool character. It's a really neat concept, a Sorcerer Supreme who's also a ghost writer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so having her be the spirit of vengeance, I, I, we're getting hopefully into a lot of cultural things with Native American, um, uh, with Native American tribes and whatnot. So, uh, I'm very curious. I'm very curious what Taboo and the Earl are going to be um, putting in this. It's a lot to do with Johnny Blaze, uh, which I'll read the solicitation in a second here. It's it's a lot to do with Johnny Blaze, but Kushala is supposed to be here to help. So here's the solicitation. It says, she's like no ghost rider you've ever seen. She is Kushala, a sorcerer supreme, a spirit of vengeance, and the savior of Johnny Blaze's soul. Blaze has been through a lot lately, from ascending the throne to, of hell to nearly murdering his former allies on the Avengers. But his nightmare is far from over. Something, or someone, is haunting him, and only a ghost rider with the powers of a sorcerer supreme can find out why. That'd be Kushala. The dynamic duo, the dynamic writing duo of Taboo of the Black Eyed Peas and B. Earl expand the writer mythos with an action-packed special that will kick off a brand new era of vengeance. Kushala is about to be the hottest thing in hell. That also makes me really excited because that sounds like they have more plans with her. I remember hearing about her character for the first time when Jen Bartel announced who she was going to be um, doing for the, what was it? It was a King in Black Ghost Rider uh, one shot. She had the Woman of Marvel cover she was doing and she chose Kushala. Uh, and that was the first time that I heard about her. I had to look her up. I've read a number of her appearances since then. I have her first through something appearances. But um, 
she's a really neat character. Like I said, a Sorcerer Supreme and a Ghost Rider. That is an amazing combination. What uh, has not been utilized properly at all until now. So I'm really hoping that they're um, kind of backtracking and fixing what, what should have always been there for her. Porcelain number one is another number one this week. Also another one of my representation spotlights because it is written and drawn and colored by one of my absolute favorite creators, Maria LaVey. Um, gosh, where to even start with Maria LaVey? I believe she is Spanish. I could be wrong. I believe she's Spanish from Spain. Um, she is a phenomenal creator mind. Um, some of the projects that you may recognize her off of, if you have, uh, or if you're familiar with them, she worked with Rick Remender on Faithless and Faithless 2. Very recently, she had, um, a series Eros and Psyche, and just before that, she had a series Luna, which I believe came through Image. Um, all really fantastic works. Everything there except for, um, Faith and Faith, or Faithless and Faithless 2 was all her own brainchild. It's, it's been really interesting to see how many series she's been pumping out. Um, I'm not sure if this is another one that was published in Spanish originally and is getting now republished for the first time in English, because I believe that's what, what the case was with Eros and Psyche as well. Um, in any case, though, this is going to be just completely fun. The solicitation sounds somewhat trippy, which is not surprising and just frankly exciting because if you know Maria Leve's style of storytelling, it is very trippy. Um, specifically talking about Luna, because um, that was one of the more recent ones that I've read, she has this way of sprinkling tidbits throughout the first couple of issues and you try to piece them together and you try to fill in the missing bits and then towards the end you will get either what you what you had uh, theorized confirmed if you're you know if you're paying attention enough and you have the ideas all right or fixed and you'll see what the actual reality of what was really going on the whole time is um <laughs> just just absolutely love her art style as well um speaking of just luna Again, oh my god, the pages that I would buy, the panels, just single panels that I would purchase as blown up prints because they are so gorgeous, uh, full of symbolism and references to mythology and religion and just absolutely mind-blowing personal style. Um, it's It's very... Her line work is very um, shaky, I almost want to say, but it's the absolute best thing that I could possibly imagine to go alongside her writing. It's It really is a match made in heaven, which makes obviously perfect sense because it's all her. Um, with Faith and Faithless, or Faithless and Faithless 2 alongside Brian Azzarillo, she was able to capture the like ethereal sexuality of everything that was going on and able to draw these intense erogenous situations that made your skin crawl because it was creepy. Um, 
I don't know if that makes it sound really bad. It's really good, I swear. <laughs> um, if you're interested in a lot of heaven versus hell stuff, definitely check out Faithless and Faithless 2 by Maria Lave and Brian Azzarillo. Um, also Luna. I feel like Luna pretty much ties into that as well. Not into the Faithless story, but into those themes of heaven and hell. Um, but Porcelain, Porcelain number one starts off this week. I believe it's going to be another five issue series. Uh, it's going to have variants, at least for issue one. We got some really nice variant artists lined up, including Sabine Rich, Tyler Boss, Yishan Lee, and Kaspar Wingard, um, who is the artist of Homesick Pilots. If you're familiar with that, I have become an immediate fan of his art style as I became an immediate fan of Homesick Pilots. So that's pretty exciting. I might get more than one cover of this this week. We'll see. Uh, the solicitation, though, if you were wondering what this is all about, it says, Stuck inside an ever-changing mystery house that hunts children and turns them into dolls, Beryl goes on a psychedelic journey where she must face the notion of her own limitations and move past them, dot dot dot, before she becomes the building's newest prey. I mean, honestly, that alone kind of sounds a bit like Homesick Pilots, but this is... Um, that's a lot of things that are kind of, uh, devices Maria LaVey tends to use. She uses a lot of female characters. She uses a lot of identity crises, a lot of coming of age kind of ideas. Um, definitely <laughs> psychedelic, sometimes drug-induced journeys, um, and danger. <laughs> Those are all elements that you tend to find in Maria LaVey's work, be it something she's just drawing or writing, um, and that is all very clearly going to appear in Porcelain. Sign me up, man. I like, Anything Maria LaVey does, I, I love it. I can't help myself. It's fantastic. Horizon Zero Dawn is back with its second series from Titan Comics, and I am so excited! This one is called Horizon Zero Dawn Liberation. Number one is kicking off this week with, uh, let's see, an arc by Ben McCaw and Anne Tool. Now, if you're familiar with the original Horizon Zero Dawn series that came out last year, that was written by Anne Tool with art by Anne Molina. Uh, while Melina is not participating in the issues here, she is doing a variant cover for the number one, uh, which I will hopefully be able to find because I really, really dug her work on the last series. She also is a fantastic um, digital artist, digital comics artist, I guess. Uh, she does run a few ongoing online comics. If you are interested, definitely check out Anne Molina's website. Um, other than that, we, so I said this is uh, written by Ben McCaw and Anne Toole. They are both original Horizon Zero Dawn game designers, no, game writers, right? Story writers. So they actually work for the game company. Um, was it Gorilla? Yeah, Gorilla. And they broke the story for the game. Um, so bringing Antool for the first series in and now adding Ben McCaw alongside Antool for this second series, 
this is the best possible thing they could have done, really. Um, art by this second series is by Elmer Damaso. Not familiar. I, I trust it'll be fantastic, though. They did a great job on the last series of picking an artist, Anne Molina, who um, captured everything really, really fantastically, especially uh, the new character that we had at that point in time. This series is going to be not following that new character. Instead, we'll be following Aloy, the main character from the game. Um, I do have the solicitation here. Basically just says, uh, Smash Hit Series, back for a second arc. Critically acclaimed and original creative team return for a new chapter in the story of Aloy and Erend. Fending off deadly machines, the pair hunt down a killer, the killer of a member of the Osirum tribe. So they're hunting a person instead of a monster in this one. Um, just having to fend off various monsters and no doubt, um will get worse and worse as it goes on. Erend was a fan favorite character from the game. Um, honestly, a bit forgettable in my opinion. Once we were kind of done with his stuff, it was like, eh, whatever. Or maybe I just, it's been a long time since I played the main arc of the game. I just don't really remember. I do remember his character. He was like a fun, helpful dude. I remember hearing that there were some hardcore shippers of the two of them. I don't really get that, but to each their own. Uh, he was an entertaining character, though, as far as I remember, so uh, him, him alongside Aloy is going to make this a really fun series. And I will also take this moment to remind you that the Horizon Zero Dawn Forbidden West, which is the sequel game, I guess would be the way to say that, is going to be coming to PlayStation in 2021, which is this year, which we only have four, well, five, if you count August, months left of, so it's coming soon. I got to start saving up for a new PlayStation because I don't think it's backwards compatible with a four. And that's what I have. Uh, but in any case, big old Horizon Zero Dawn fan over here um, and super stoked for Liberation to start this Wednesday. Uh, the last three of the, um, what would you call this, of the spotlights on representation that I'm kind of doing here are going to be a little bit shorter. Um, <laughs> we have uh, Crush and Lobo by Mariko Tamaki. While I recommend literally anything written by Mariko Tamaki, I swear I am, I haven't read the first two issues of this. I've heard they're pretty funny. Um, I just want this for the cover. I want to frame it and put it next to my office because it has Crush in a vest here backs to the camera. It's like a motorcycle vest, right? Whatever they call that. I watched Sons of Anarchy. What do they call the, the vests? I don't honestly remember, but it has a patch on the back and it says, bite me fanboy. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. That's like just fanboy tears. <laughs> I don't even know if anybody cares if that there's crush happening, but like, I just think that's the funniest shit. Bite me, fanboy. Uh, it's funny, okay? Let me have it. <laughs> then we have the good Asian number four. These are some of the hardest names to pronounce in all of comics right now. Um, and th there's three of them. Okay, Lee Ruffridge, Luff Lee Luffridge isn't too hard. Okay, he's the colorist, I think. But then we have uh, the writer, you ready for this? Pornsack? Pichichot, I think Pichichot, and then the artist Alexandre T. 
Tiffany. I am so sorry. I just get worse and worse on that, I think, every week. Uh, we also have another fun name in the variant. We have a variant by Awanki. I'm sorry again. I'm real bad at things. Um, the Good Asian, though. Really, really digging this. It is a detective noir... Um, Gosh, how would you even describe it? It is is a detective, a classic detect noir detective story, but where the detective is a Chinese American man um, who is kind of trying to straddle the line between the white community and the Asian community in San Francisco, um, because it's <sighs> there has just been so much bad blood between. Um, white folks and uh, Asian Americans and Asian immigrants in America that it isn't talked about a whole lot. Um, I, when you go to school on the West Coast, you learn about it. I just, I know I did. Um, places like Manzanar, you know. Um, there's a lot of people out there who don't know what Manzanar is. Manzanar was a uh, concentration camp, basically, for Japanese Americans and, well, anyone who looked vaguely Japanese because they didn't trust them during World War II. I mean, it, 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 it's a dark history. Um, there are not a whole lot of people left who remember being at those camps. Um, and those camps are not even relevant to the series. They're not, they're not a factor in the series. It's just an example that I wanted to mention. Um, just an example of the things that have been done against the American Asian community and it's just it's it's never it's not great stuff but the series is doing such a fantastic job of capturing that time period um, and capturing what everyone is feeling that the fear the hope the the clashing um, it's it's very well done um, and I just absolutely love I absolutely love the combination of factors they have in this. Uh, brief, brief old solicitation here says, Hark, who is Edison Hark, he's the main character. Hark suffers a devastating blow at Chinatown's Hui Long, oh, as Chinatown's Hui Long killer hits closer to home, leading Hark to begin peeling back the layers of his family's chilling secrets. Because there is a big mystery to this that we're slowly figuring out, it would not be a proper detective noir story if it did not have that. So, um... Looking forward to getting uh, issue four of that of, I'm not sure how many it's going to be. Silk number five by Moringu and Takeshi Miyazawa is the final issue of this Silk miniseries. Why are there only miniseries? I don't know. Maybe they'll give her something ongoing someday that'll actually make it past like 16 or whatever. Um, this being the last issue, it's going to probably be just a hard and fast wrap up. I have the solicita solicitation here. It just says, enter the demon. It all comes down to this. Silk has one chance to stop Kasha from unleashing an ancient demon god. She'll have to join forces with an unlikely ally to do it. And some shocking revelations turn Silk's world upside down. I have no doubt that we're going to have J. Jonah Jameson confront her as Cindy Moon and say, yeah, I know you're Silk. I'm not completely dumb. Um that'll probably be the change the revelation that will turn her world upside down is that she's no longer has a secret identity in everyone's eyes that is all the spotlights i had everything else here is just you know 
regular stuff. I just wanted to go over the what I call spotlights first um, to kind of give them that little bit of foot up in my podcast, a little bit of special positioning um, because they are, they do have factors in them that make them um, great comics of great representation. So that's that. Uh, Moving on to the rest of the comic book pull list, we're going to talk about a few more things. The Me You Love in the Dark, number one. Suicide Squad, Get Joker, number one. X-Men, number two. Sensational Wonder Woman, number six. Very briefly, Hellions, number 14. Vampirella, number 22. And Avengers, number 47. So, uh, the Me You Love in the Dark is one that I have been hearing a fair amount of early reviews going on, but not not so much praise that I worry about disappointment. I know when Crossover came out, everybody was tweeting how it was literally the best comic ever made. And when it turned out to not be that, a lot of people were very disappointed when it was actually pretty good. Um, I will read you, since this is an indie comic and those things are sometimes hard to describe, I will read you the solicitation. Writer Scotty Young and artist Jorge Corona follow up their critically acclaimed series Middle West with a brand new haunting tale. An artist named Roe retreats from the grind of the city to an old house in a small town to find solace and inspiration without realizing the muse within is not what she expected. It says this is for fans of Stephen King and Neil Gaiman who will enjoy this beautiful, dark, and disturbing story of discovery, love, and terror. As it said, it is by Scotty Young and Jorge Corona, and it does have some covers by some pretty big names, such as Scotty Young himself doing a very creepy Tim Burton-style cover, Jenny Frizen, who has an exclusive cover, Zoo Orzu, Ariel Diaz, and Megan Hutchinson, who I believe is uh, married to Donnie Cates, uh, and several more. So this is a... One of the number ones that kicks off with a good amount of variant covers, which kind of tells me when that happens that a number of people from the industry have already read and are familiar with the comic and are on board as hell with it. So hopefully all good signs. I am not sure the last time I read something written by Scotty Young, um... But I'm super open to this. I have not read Middle West, and this is not a sequel to Middle West. It's a separate story just by the same team. That was something that was a little bit confusing for some people, me, um, at first. So not not a follow-up, just an additional project. Um, But the me you love in the dark, it sounds like the right kind of creepy for me. Suicide Squad Get Joker number one is the first of three issues from DC Black Label. will be written by Brian Azzarillo with art by Alex Maleev. Uh, Maleev, he does watercolor style paintings very similar to uh, David Mack, Bill Sienkiewicz, Rod Reese, Liam Sharp, although I think Liam Sharp does oils, but it's all very similar style that they have. Uh, Brian Azzarillo, on the other hand, is very well known uh, for Batman Damned, which was also DC Black Label, Um, 100 Bullets, he's written a lot of Wonder Woman, he's worked with Frank Miller on his Dark Knight series, and then there's, as I discussed earlier, Faithless and Faithless 2, and then there's Moonshine and countless others. He's a very big name in the industry. Um, It is just three issues, and it's going to be basically covering the various villains of the DC universe trying to hunt down Harley Quinn. 
Uh, what it says in the solicitation is bloody bloody block collaborate for the first time in a three issue oversized prestige plus format suicide squad series pitting red hood harley quinn firefly and more of dc's most villainous criminals against the joker when tax task force oh my when task force X's Amanda Waller sets her sights on Batman's greatest foe. She enlists the Dark Knight's former partner Jason Todd to track down the crown prince of crime and put an end to his mad reign of terror. That's an interesting dynamic. If I had to guess, Jason Todd is going to die in the series. <laughs> um, I know Azarilla's written things with Joker and Jason Todd before and has not had that happen, but um, I just... I think Joker's gonna actually kill Jason. Well, I mean, again, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting dynamic. And then adding in all of the villains, although Red Hood is like kind of a villain, but not like super duper villain. He's, he's sometimes he goes back and forth. Uh, same with Harley Quinn. Um, but it sounds like this will probably be not the version of the characters who we know from current canon comics. These will probably be fairly dark and I would have to say gritty versions of these characters, just based on how we know Brian Azzarillo tends to write. X-Men number two, while it does have a super generic solicitation that I won't bother reading you, uh, I still think it's going to be awesome. The first issue set up a lot of stories for the future, um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that this team is, is going to last uh, the ser this this particular series of X-Men is going to last for a while. The team is Rogue, Wolverine, X-23, Laura, Wolverine that is, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Sunfire, Polaris, and Sink. Um, really cool. It's the first time that uh, Laura has been on team. First time. Well, Sunfire, I guess, was back in the day. Um, and it's first, I think it's the first time Sink has been an official X-Men. I know Polaris... Marvel Girl, uh, Rogue, Cyclops, and I believe Sunfire all have been team members. Um, so yay, new people and people who we haven't seen on the team in a while. That's really fun. Um, I also wanted to mention, um, while I'm kind of mentioned talking about this, that there are a bunch of variants coming out this week. And I, I'm not sure if they're just this week or if they are spread throughout, um, August, but they're all done by Ji Hyung Lee and they are all, um, they're all Asian characters. It's for AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander, um, awareness, whatever it is, um, that they're doing, but they're doing it's the themed, uh, covers. And so this is the AAPI themed. I will probably pick up as many of those as I can find because that's, um, something we're really big on here in our house. And, uh, a lot of these are really awesome characters. I know on the Immortal Hulk one, he has... Uh, what is his name? Braun, who was the totally awesome Hulk. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> He's in like a like Korean streetwear. It's really awesome. So he did a great job with these kind of how uh, Jen Bartel did a great job with the Women of Marvel covers that she did as well. As for X-Men number two, it's written by Jerry Duggan and drawn by Pepe Larraz. Um, as I said before, super generic solicitation, nothing worth reading back to you. Um, but with this team and with what they set up in the first issue, which was quite packed, um, this is going to be, this is going to be pretty awesome. I'm, I'm excited. Sensational Wonder Woman number six is 
the series is part of the 80th anniversary celebration of Wonder Woman, right? Um, so they've been doing pro they've been doing issues that are almost entirely female created uh, between the writers and the artists. However, this one is entirely male somehow between the colorist and the writer and the artist and the cover artist. They are all dudes. <laughs> um, I I may or may not pick this issue up for that reason because I. A big part of why I was picking this up is because it was so many women writing Wonder Woman, and you don't get that so much. Um, they've been trying to do that in the canon stuff, but it's just kind of been flopping around. I don't know. Um, but this is going to be apparently a story about Wonder Woman and the Amazons facing off Queen Bee. I have nothing to add to that except that whenever the character of Queen Bee is used in something, I always think of that Pushing Davies episode. Have you ever seen that? Um, where there's like all they they go into the the bee, the honey place, and there's all the bees, and she gets covered in bees. And <sighs> Pushing Davies is a good show. You should you should definitely check that shit out. Anyway, uh, Hellions number 14 is by Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia. This issue is going to be focusing on the return of the Locust Vile, who were some pretty freaky messed up villains that we saw, I believe, back during X of Swords? Um, they were pretty screwy and terrifying, so this will probably be a fun run of Hellions. Vampirella 22 by Christopher Priest. Um, I just discovered this morning that this series is apparently ending with issue 25 in October, which according to that solicitation features a wedding of some kind. Uh, this solicitation though says that issue 22 is our prelude. Issue 22 is prelude? Oh, it's called prelude. Okay. It finds our dark heroine finally home from her interstellar journey, journey but pursued by the cosmic gateway pursues through the cosmic gateway by the enigmatic vampire murdering Shane, who follows a twisted agenda all of his own to seek the oldest and deadliest of the undead and set in motion events which will change Vampirella forever. Wouldn't that be her mother? The oldest and deadliest of the undead? Isn't that Lilith? I don't know. We'll find out. And finally, Avengers number 47. Very briefly, it's World War She-Hulk Part 2, which the, the the fact they're calling it World War She-Hulk is really stupid. There's no reason to be calling it that. Jason Aaron needs to be stopped in his tracks. Um, I'll just read you the, the thing. The Red Room is a secret furnace where some of the world's greatest assassins and superkillers have been forged. And now She-Hulk is its newest recruit. As the Avengers race to rescue Jen Walters from the Russian Winter Guard, is it too late to save She-Hulk from going red? We have a red Hulk. They're gonna call her not that. They're gonna call her, what is it? The white, the winter Hulk? <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm really not happy with this, but I'm reading it so that I can bitch about it properly and not just be like, oh, I heard that was dumb. I'm reading it so I know it's bad. <laughs> Does that make sense? Whatever. We're, we're, we're done with the pull list now. <laughs> we're done with that. Moving on to the Bad Batch episode 14. I have discovered just today that the Bad Batch is going to be apparently a 16 episode season. So we have another episode this Friday the 6th and the final episode will be next Friday 
the 13th, which I'll discuss, of course, then on the 16th. And that is actually also, um, we will be discussing on the episode that will happen on the 13th, What If Episode 1, which comes out on Wednesday the 11th. None of this you have to keep up with right now. We'll have all these reminders as we go along, so don't worry about it. Um, But The Bad Batch Episode 14, with two episodes left, you can kind of start to see um, where we might be headed for the final bit of the series here. Um, The the basic kickoff for the plot here was on this episode, uh, Captain Rex gets back in touch with the Batch, looking very undercover, and he sends them off to help a stranded trooper who is called Gregor, who we actually have met already if you've watched the Clone Wars show. So a good little bit of, you know, fan service. This is all fan service. Good little bit of tidbits for you there. Uh, he tried to escape an Imperial training facility, but he has failed and they have to go rescue him. Um, some interesting things that happened throughout the episode the Kaminoans have had their cloning contracts all terminated by the Empire, and it is now very clear that they're going to be executed, most likely, uh, now that the army Empire is leaving Kamino. Um, so in an attempt to kind of warn his fellow um, Kaminoan about this, the diplomat character, I'm terrible with their names, he warns the scientist character, who was the one who went out to save Omega, um, he warns her of what's going on and what he fears is going on. However, the scientist lady is caught packing in secret. Um, however, when they bring her to confront the diplomat, it is the diplomat who is executed as the the general or commander, whoever the dude's name was. Uh, he says that they have no use for a, for a governor or whatever, but they do have use for scientists. Um... I kind of had to think back on some stuff there at that point. We still don't 100% know where the Kamalans come from. Um, We got, in a few episodes ago, a look into one of the cloning facilities, um, and it showed that the Kamalans are some kind of clones or cloned, but where the source material came from is uncertain. They have a similar look to um, to Snoke, Palpatine's clone guy, but they kind of seem to be their own people at this point of time. Um, so I'm very curious about their origins. Was this something that Palpatine and his youth just kind of like put together and let go and create their own society? Uh, he's been just watching them this whole time, or did he find something and start use? Or did they have the cloning abilities and he just started using their cloning abilities to? do his own stuff like I, I it's not really clear yet but i'd love to have that clarified we also see on this episode that there are a fair amount of clone children uh and preteen type looking kids on the camino facility as well and i can't help but think that this must be uh well I, because they're all in similar age to omega i have to wonder if they're going to be used as a plot device when it comes to what their fate is going to be it just seems Way too coincidental to have them all mentioned now at the evacuation when things are going wrong for the Kaminoans um, and when things are currently going to be wrapping up for Omega and what she's doing with the Batch on the other end of things. Um, the end of the episode is where we got really the, the biggest, uh-oh, the biggest, you know, thing that happened in this episode. Uh, it's where Hunter, he ended up switching places with Gregor, the clone they were off to save, 
And so it ends up being him who winds up behind bars in that Imperial training facility um, where he comes face to face with Crosshair that will no doubt wind up changing or really deciding how the story is going to end in the finale. Um, I believe that it's still possible to have Hunter get turned, you know, on the batch, like how Crosshair was. Uh, he turned and now he's Empire. Um, I have to assume it's possible that they can do that to Hunter and then send him back to the batch and have him be either bait or a trick for them and just take them down that way. There's, there's a lot of options now that they have Hunter. There's a lot of options of things that can happen. Um, and most of them are negative. So good luck, Omega. <laughs> uh, one thing I also want to note, there have been some complaints um, from the adult audiences that the episodes have been a bit formulaic of the Bad Batch, as in they follow the same kind of structure each time, which in this case, um, it, it, it means the Batch, basically, they get wind of a problem, Omega wants to go fix it, but Hunter does it, they finally go, they get into trouble, and they get out at last minute. That's a very simple formula that a lot of shows use. Um, and there's... It's it's not too much of a big deal for me. Um, that's just kind of how drama happens. <laughs> uh, but what's what's funny is there are still so many, specifically adult men, who are still very very mad apparently that this children's animated show stars a child. Go figure. <laughs> uh, because remember, guys, this is a children's show. Don't. Don't forget, this is for kids. <laughs> um, as we're coming to the end of the season and starting to look towards Mandalorian Season 3 and the Book of Boba coming out, I can't help but wonder if we are even going to have Omega in the second season of the show, assuming that it gets that second season. It is so possible that we're going to be seeing her as a grown woman either in Mando or Book of Boba, either of those live-action projects, that this would kind of be theoretically a perfect time for her to make that transition to leave the animated world and jump up to be several decades later in the live-action world. But, you know, who knows? I'm just spitballing here. This morning, we had the official first trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage, aka Venom 2. Um... I first thing it wasn't until the end I watched the whole I watched the whole trailer through before I made any notes on what I thought about it the first thing I wrote down was quote exclusively in theaters all right guys this was on the last thing where it's got the credits and at the top of it it said exclusively in theaters that is a lot like how Marvel after DC started coming out on Tuesdays Marvel made those variant covers that said out on Wednesdays that's petty and stupid, and it's not a damn competition. I'll talk more about the future of movies when I get into the whole commentary of Matt Damon's article or interview or whatever it was that he had that blew up. Um, but it's it's <laughs> it's super petty. Um, the future of film is changing. Get over it, basically. Um, I just figure it's a massive dig at Disney and uh, Warner for putting their stuff online, which 
has worked out perfectly fine. I mean, as far as I can tell, I enjoy it. <laughs> I prefer it, in fact, but okay. Um, for the most part, this looks like it'll be a fun movie. I have to say, I still don't like the way that they have done Venom's inner voice or whatever. It's it's so jovial and low-key lame. And yes, I know he's jokey in the comics a lot, but the particular delivery and tone that they chose for this just seems redonkulously childish to me. Um, like it was specifically picked for the entertainment of children, which on one hand, yeah, you know, comics, so... I guess that's fine, but also this is an R-rated movie. It is definitely, specifically, not for children. Um, so why the childish, I don't know, I know there's a lot of people who really love it and think it's really funny and it's a fucking great idea. I just don't like it. It's childish and weird and I feel like if you're gonna be scary, that doesn't work. <laughs> Um, Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy is no doubt going to steal the show of the entire movie based on how he stole the crap out of this trailer, um, between him acting as Carnage, acting as Cletus in a jail cell, acting as, you know, just whatever he's doing during his, his time of doing things. Um, I, I am definitely, I'm positive that Woody Harrelson's Cletus Cassidy and uh, Carnage is going to be the best part of this movie. Um, not just because he's a stellar actor, but because, well, I mean, I guess the gun all goes back to, yeah, he's just a stellar actor and he's going to be able to take what, what, you know, wonkiness they give him and probably make it really cool. Um, whereas I don't feel like good old, what's his name's Lex Luthor did a good job of taking the wonkiness they gave him for those movies and making it cool. Woody Harrelson, I have, I have faith can make a bit of a lame script sound better than it, it actually is. So, um, I'm sorry if you like the Venom movies. I, I first one was fine. I don't remember much of it cause it was pretty b boring in my opinion. Um, but it was fine. It wasn't great. <laughs> I'm also, I have to say, I'm wondering how deep into the family aspect of Venom and Carnage they're gonna go for this because they do drop that tease of um that oh it's 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 the uh the, he said it feels like family it's a teaser at the end of the trailer but then when Venom seems to first see Carnage he says he just calls it a red one not by name or by familiarity or whatever he just says oh it's a red one I don't want to do this or whatever like he just knows that the red ones are worse or something. Um, or possibly there's more to it than that. Possibly he knows this particular red one um, and is aware of how bad that is. And we're not really sure yet also how Cletus is going to get the Carnage symbiote. Um, uh, we know that he bites Eddie Brock based on the trailer. We see him bite him through the skin and everything. Um, I don't think that's enough to do it. I don't think so, but, uh, potentially experimentation, illegal experimentation on prisoners or something like that, or they try to do a lethal injection and it turns out to be carnage. I don't know, whatever it ends up being. Um, I'm, I'm, cre I'm curious about all that stuff. Again, Woody Harrelson is going to be the best part of this movie. Um, I'm not going to watch it in theaters because I'm not out here to waste my money. Um, <laughs> but in any case, I'm sure it'll be fun. 
If you were on Twitter over the weekend, odds are that you saw this article from some local newspaper website or other um, about how uh, it basically it kind of doubled as an interview with Matt Damon, as well as a complaint that actors of Damon's caliber are no longer a thing. Um, okay, Damon commented in it that he sees the end of traditional movies as we know them, and that makes him sad. Okay, let's let's go into this a little bit. Um, <laughs> starting starting with the end of traditional movies as we know them. Um, let's go with. Um, <laughs> Star Trek. Let's start here. Many, many years ago on Star Trek, it was explained that humanity got to the stars um, because we reached a certain point where entertainment media like movies and television started dying out of our interests and humans became becoming more interested in other ways of exploring our place in the universe by actually exploring the universe. Therefore, they just kind of phased out that form of entertainment and went on to the creation of knowledge as just their day-to-day -day entertainment. Um, we can already see in our modern times that movie theaters are bound to become less popular just like cable tele television kind of had its time and is phasing out of existence, more or less, kind of. This isn't a bad thing. This is how humanity moves forward and onwards. I would also like to point out the, the, the article made a snide comment about how, quote, one immediate difference when between when Damon started out and now is that leading men no longer sell the films most people watch. The big titles of the past decade are brands and franchises established in numerous prequels and sequels. Robert Downey Jr. is a leading man, but his Iron Man could be played by almost anyone with wit. The character is more important to the audiences than the actor. To which I have a few points. One, uh, yeah, leading man Matt Damon of the Bourne series. Sure. He's not involved with brands or franchises, with numerous prequels and sequels. Nope, not him. Not Matt Damon of the Bourne series. Also, yes, it would have been extremely different if they had cast any other actor as Iron Man. This guy is not Shakespeare. You can't just replace people the way that you can replace words, even in theory. And as a third point to that, the character is not more important to the audiences than the actor. When the Iron Man movie came out, when the Iron Man movie was announced as even being made, comic book readers, comic book readers, not the general audience, comic book readers looked at each other and went, who the fuck cares about Iron Man? And now they do. That was because of Robert Downey Jr.'s success as the character. Just like how Loki, as we know him in the comics now, is a complete different Loki than we had 20 years ago because Tom Hiddleston, as Loki, changed the character so dramatically and made it so popular for his version of it that they put it in the comics. So yeah, it, it definitely, definitely is not more important than the actor. Just, just starting with that. 
Um, it, it, it's... <laughs> there's, there's a lot of this, um, this old Hollywood anti-progression white liberal view of the world that seems to be coming out here. Um, how they think nostalgia is bad unless it goes back far enough to the old times, right? The quote, old ways that are fading out are a tragedy and a crime to leave behind, regardless if the forward movement that's happening is leaving it in the dust because that's just how forward movement works. And it's also also very hard to ignore that they are preemptively mourning the loss of what straight white actors the quote good ones um and i am definitely not the only one feeling that way a large majority of responses online are basically saying you know if matt damon is afraid of losing work get better um it's about time we get some diversity up in this bitch uh, lots of responses of that gif of Woody Harrelson in Zombieland wiping his tears with cash. A lot of that. Um, reminders that Matt Damon did play a Chinese man in a movie within the past 10 years. He doesn't get to say shit about the industry changing for the better, um, if not just for him. <laughs> and also a fair amount of mentions of Harvey Weinstein boosting his career. So yeah, Matt Damon... Um, get over it. <laughs> uh, there's also something kind of related to this that I came across last week, I want to say, about how movie genres have a time that they thrive in. Um, there were periods of time where we liked, as a society, we preferred noir detective films, cowboy movies, bad action flicks, and the period right now, I'm sure everybody would agree, is kind of a trend to do the superhero things. And there are all reasons to why these genres have been popular when they were popular. Noir, noir movies, basic crime story, very real world, um, fantastical only in the amount of drama. It also fit what they were able to put in movies at the time, no special effects, nothing like that. Cowboy movies, called back to the time of the then young adults had heard about from their grandparents and it matched the toys that all these people had grown up with playing. You know, cowboys and Indians, all those low-key racist things that we did as kids, you know. <laughs> uh, then you get the bad action movies of the early 2000s. They tried to guess the future of technology at a time when tech was booming in a way that it really never had before. And now, superhero movies, they offer escapism just as all the rest have done, but to another level. Here we can see a world where all our major problems are solved by larger-than-life but still somehow relatable superheroes, giving us a world we wish to live in and a character that we wish to embody. So there is no death of cinema. There is no death of traditional movies. There is no death of high-caliber actors. There is only evolution. Um... That goes for genres, that goes for how we watch and how we consume this media, that goes for who is in the media. There is only ever evolution. Um, and to kind of fight against that does seem to be, I mean, it's the Woody Harrelson in Zombieland gif with wiping the tears with cash. That's what you look like right now. And as for the article writer who seems to be concerned with... <laughs> Well, I guess I covered that with the actors. 
Um, get smart before you start writing about things you don't know about, like Iron Man. Clearly was not aware that Iron Man was not popular until Robert Downey Jr. made him popular. Um, he was, in fact, a, like, least favorite character of many, many people because of what he was in the comics for most of his history until Robert Downey Jr. So, uh, Matt Damon, get over it. To this writer, um, get better. <laughs> Um, if movie theaters go out of business, it doesn't mean that movies are going to go away. And that doesn't mean that entertainment and actors and creativity and storytelling is going to go away. It's always going to be there. There's always going to be stories to tell in some way or another. Even if it means that we regress as a society and go back to writing with sticks on walls of caves, there will still be stories to tell and they will still be told as they need to be. Thank you very much. That's it. <laughs> that wraps up today's episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. I hope it didn't irritate anybody too much with my nonsensical rambling. I hope it made some kind of sense to a few of you. Uh, that's the goal. Um, as I do mention in the beginning, thank you very much for whatever amount of time that you were able to listen to the podcast when you, when you do. Um, thank you for supporting it by sharing it with people. If you want to donate to the podcast and help me spend more time working on the podcast instead of having a traditional job, um, you can do that on the podcast Patreon. It is just under Sensational She Geek, and there will be patron awards at some point, um, when I have enough people signed up for that. So, um, otherwise... You can find me on my website, sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. You can find me under Sensational She Geek on YouTube. Otherwise, we will see you on Friday, which is going to be August 6th. Remember, Friday is the day that James Gunn's Suicide Squad is going to be premiering in movie theaters as well as on HBO Max. We'll be talking about that on Monday's episode 29A. However, Friday's 28B, we will be covering comic book picks things that I really enjoyed and felt like were needing to be mentioned from this week's comic book reads. Um, and then we'll be talking about really whatever else happens between now and then uh, in the industry, because there's always something going on. There's always some kind of breaking news or theorizing. And as I said earlier, next Wednesday does have the beginning of the What If uh, Disney Plus series, and uh, we'll be talking about that on Fridays after that. So there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to on the Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street podcast. Um, and thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, hear me ramble about these things that we know and love. So have a great week. Um, it's getting into summer for sure now. We're, we're, we're past the midpoint of summer. Um, so do stay hydrated. Drink a lot more water than you normally would if it's hot outside. Um, please try to be nice to people around you. Use empathy. You don't know everybody's story. Don't judge so hard. It's really not doing anybody any favors. Um, and get sweaty about the things you love because that's what makes life worth living. <laughs>